church just for today. Just, just love us, just love us anyway. So with that being said, everybody say, I love my church. I love my church. This is a one shot kind of a year Sunday that we take just to kind of uh, to talk about, to, to, to celebrate, to recognize and then to recruit and to kind of inspire every one of us that there is a there's a part that we play inside of a church and inside of a community of believers. And so this today is called I love my church. And so if you have your Bible, go to John chapter 13 with me. I want to share with you what I believe is is the gold standard of why it is that we believe in serving and why we believe it is that giving of our time is of incredible importance. So, um, you know, I was thinking through as we got through this last series called 24, we were talking about the concept of time and how we become better stewards of our time and what, how we make the most of our time. And so, um, I started thinking about what Jesus does in John chapter 13. And what you need to know is what we're going to read today actually is something that he did in his final hours that just hours from this point in scripture, he's going to be arrested. Hours from this point, you know, he's going to start going into different courtroom situations and get then he's going to get thrashed and he's going to get crucified. It's going to be all kinds of bad. But in his last moment, he chooses to do something very, very interesting. Now, I don't know about you. Do you ever do you ever role play in your mind like what it would be like if we all do that? Right. I'm not I'm not weird. I'm not the only one. Am I you? You ever role play like what if you ever role play the thought of what if I only had one year to live? You know, what, what would I do? What would, what would I want to go take on? Or what would I want to go experience? What if you had less? What if you, you had one month to live? In Jesus' case, what if you only had one day to live? What would you do? You know, we kind of call this the bucket list, don't we? Does anybody have a bucket list? You want to, you wanna, yeah, you got a bucket list. You got a list of things that you say before I kick that bucket that's a funny American idiom. I don't know where we get that from. You know, like this, you die. I, I don't know where that comes from. But before we kick the bucket, we got a list in that bucket that we want to have accomplished or experienced before it is that we kick said bucket. And so anyway, this is this is kind of that notion of what if I only had one year to live, one month to live, one day to live. One day would be rough, wouldn't it? That bucket list would be small. And so Jesus in his final moments does something really strange because you and I have cool things on our bucket list, don't we? Like you, you had a bucket list, right? It's some cool stuff, right? Like you want to go to Madagascar, or you want to go to Jerusalem, or you want to go skydiving, or you want to go, you probably got some cool stuff. You've got some personal things. You know, obviously, like if you only had a short time to live, you'd be thinking about family and you'd be thinking about your spouse or your kids. And you'd be thinking about tying up loose ends and making sure people are taken care of. Maybe you go rob a few banks to make sure your family had enough money. Don't do that. Anyway, uh, you have all these things, maybe. But Jesus, he's different. You know, he's not like us. He's, he sets the standard in a different way. And what Jesus chooses to go do is wash feet. Now, unless you're like a pedicure person, that's probably not on your bucket list, is it? Anybody got that on your bucket list? Like, you know what I really want to do? I just want to go wash some feet. Unless you have like a fetish thing. And we'll, we'll, maybe there's counseling. I don't know. Unless you're that. Most of us don't have, I want to go wash feet. On the to-do list of my, not even final month, final hours. And yet, this is what we see Jesus doing in John chapter 13. Let's read along and kind of work through this story as Jesus sets the standard for why it is that we even consider the thought of why do I give my time? Why do I give my money? Why do I give my gifts, talents, and why do I give anything at all? This is what it says. Verse number three, the Bible says that Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his Power. Everybody say power. 
and that he had come from God and was going to return back to God. And so this is just kind of the tone setter of the whole thing, because what what John is trying to make sure that you understand is before we read anything further, you need to know who Jesus is, that literally the God had given everybody say all things Isn't that what it says, all things. He, everything in the entire universe had been put underneath the authority, the exousia, the power of Jesus. So before we even talk about what he does, you need to understand who he is. And he sets the standard for, in essence, what does the guy do who has all the power in the universe? What does the man do who has all the authority in the entire world? What does he do? When he's got all the power, all the influence, all the skills, talents, abilities, whatever you want to call the influence, what does that guy do? And it's challenging because he knows that in your life, there will be moments in your life where you maybe are the most powerful person in the room. There are times in your life where you'll have all the influence at the table. There will be times and it could be that as a dad over your home or a single mom or maybe you're a manager, maybe you're a business owner, maybe you just got incredible influence, maybe you're really really gifted and talented. There will come a time in your life where you're a little now you're not, not totally like this, but you're a little bit like this. In the sense that you've got something to offer. What does that person do? Who has all because there was nobody more powerful in the room than Jesus was there. What would that guy do? So the Bible says, so he got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing and he wrapped a towel around his waist. Now, I I find this incredibly interesting because what was going on is they were having Passover meal. It's hours before he's to be arrested. They take holy Passover, this Passover Seder. And so they're sitting there, they're eating the table and he gets up from the table. And I I, want to kind of showcase this thought here is that is that they were sitting at a place of consumption. Does that make sense? And, and they were all consuming food and consuming Passover, but yet it's Jesus that gets up and then begins to, what we'll see in a second, is it begins to serve. And this is really where the challenge is for me and you, because me and you, we normally like to sit and be served much more than we like to go and serve other people. It, Sunday morning works like this for many of us. We love the idea of coming and sitting and partaking and sitting and consuming. But what Jesus is showing here is that that there's a time to receive, but you ought to get up and go do something after. Let Let me put it like this. Whatever it is that you receive on Sunday ought to be worked out on Monday. Does that make sense? That that when you sit in this place, the idea is not to receive for the sake of just getting loaded up. The reason why you receive is not just for the purpose of feeling full. And satisfied. It is to give you something to equip you and give you the energy and the know-how to go do something else on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. So he, he gets up from this place of consumption. He, he takes off what's called the outer garment. This is kind of like the rabbi's cloak. They had these prayer shawls. And he takes off really what was his kind of symbol of authority. It was the rabbi's. He, he took that off. And the Bible says he grabs a towel. And the next verse says that he pours water into a basin. And began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around. Now, here's what you need to know, too, is that this is normal to them because they didn't have cars and they walked everywhere they went. They did not have closed-toed shoes. They were, they were sporting Birkenstocks day and night. And so they had open-toed shoes. And when you walked on non-paved roads, what would your feet get like? And, ladies, they did not have, you know, a place in every shopping center to where you could go get your nails done. 
Okay, so they didn't have many petties back then the way that you and I do now. And so they had funky feet. You ever seen somebody that just had some. You felt bad for him. You're like them, some gangly Freddy Krueger looking, looking toes. You wanted to buy them a pedicure just to bless them. Well, that was what most people had in life, because that's what happens when you walk barefoot or you walk with open toed shoes on dusty roads for your entire life. Now, this was normal in their culture that if, if there was a place where there were servants that a servant and it was always low man on the totem pole that got stuck with his job because nobody was clamoring for this one. And so there was normally in a house of servants, there was a person who when you had guests over for a meal, you would wash your feet. It was just kind of a customary thing. Now, what, what we see is this. Nobody did this for them, did they? Nobody. And none of the disciples did this either. Did you notice that? Like clearly no one had said, hey, you know what? Let's wash our feet. Let's just, you know, let's not be funky toes for dinner. Let, let's, let's wash. Nobody did it. There was no servant and none of the disciples ever offered or volunteered or took it upon themselves to do it. And so after the meal, Jesus on his bucket list says, there's something incredibly important that I've got to do for you. This, this gets mind blowing here. Verse six says this. So Peter always talks a lot, always got something to say. He's that guy says, Lord, you're going to wash my feet. And basically he's and, and I won't read all of it, but he's he's giving Jesus the Nuh-uh, you ain't washing my feet. And Jesus goes on to say, if, if, I, if you don't let me wash your feet, you don't got nothing to do with me. So Jesus says, you do not realize what I'm doing now, but later you will understand. I, this is just weird. You need to try to get your mind wrapped around this big idea. God came to earth to serve you. And it makes no sense at all because he doesn't have to. He's so holy, he shouldn't. That's what Peter had a problem with. Jesus, there's no reason why you should stoop down to wash my feet. I'm not worthy enough. And it's this humbly I mean, just it, it's got to break you down a little bit. The notion of I'm not good enough or worthy enough for re- anybody to really wash my dirty feet, but for the son of God to do it. And Peter has a kickback. And you need to understand and recognize that God and Jesus has come to serve you. For you. Because you don't know it yet, but you need it. Anybody ever seen the Twilight Zone before? Oh, yeah, you can date yourself. Old school. All right, so I'm watching the Twilight Zone. Don't ask me why. Twilight Zone. 1962 episode, and the episode is called To Serve Man. It's this trippy episode. The episode. You have now just entered the Twilight. Y'all, y'all with me? We were just talking about this the other day. When I was talking about like when you go to like uh, Tower of Terror at Disneyland, they have the. You have now just entered, you know, whatever. So the, the way the episode works is, is that humanity is kind of post-Cold War. Or that's the way they're kind of setting it up. And there are these aliens that come to planet Earth and and it freaks everybody out. But they come and say, hey, we just came to help you out. And so they literally give the human beings everything. They give them like how to like make incredible food supply. So there's they eliminate world hunger. They they get rid of nuclear weapons and they remove all war. They give them incredible energy sources so that nobody and they literally like preserve humanity. He he, he, the alien comes. They're called. 
Canamits? Can- I can't remember now. Canamits? And they say, we're going to give you everything just because we've been blessed with such incredible technology. We want to pass it on to other people. And that's just what we're doing here. And the guy, when he tells them all this stuff, he leaves behind a book, I think on, on accident. And, 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 and they don't know what the book is because it's in alien language and nobody speaks alien. So they start deciphering and coding and trying to figure out what it says. And they figure out what the title is. And the title is To Serve Man. And we think, whoa, because everybody's skeptical in the beginning thinking these people... They've got an agenda. There's some other ulterior motive. And then they get the book code and they're, oh, they, they really do just want to serve mankind. And so the world is in blissful ignorance. Everything is going wonderful. And the aliens are even like, hey, we'd like to take you back to our home planet, which is a utopia paradise. It's amazing. Come jump on our spaceship and we'll take you home. And, and, and so people start in droves going on this alien ship. Are y'all following me? This is, it's, it's 1962. So like, don't go watch it because it's, it's old school. It's black and white, and it ain't that cool. Anyway, the storyline, this is where I'm going. Stay with the story. Is eventually one person stays on trying to decode the book, and at the last minute, when like the general's about to get on the plane, the decoder runs to try to go get him, and like, don't get on that spaceship, don't get on. That book is a cookbook. <laughs> to serve man means like, how do you prepare people? And the, and the reason why the aliens had come to help humanity is so that they had an ongoing food source. And the name of the book was called To Serve Man. Was, by then it was too late. Homeboy just kicked him on the spaceship and he was off. And then he gives this speech as to like, yeah, uh-huh, don't do stupid things. And so the point is that, that, that it was their ulterior motive as to why they wanted to serve humanity, why they wanted to bless humanity. And I, I, I want to just help you out real quick here. God doesn't need you. God wants you. God doesn't need you. He just loves you freely and unconditionally and really needs nothing in return, but desires it and wants it because that's what love really is. Love must be on a two way street. It's never just one sided and love in its truest form is always sacrificial. And so what you see in this is a glimpse of things to come. And Jesus is saying, look, if I don't serve you, you can't even partake. If I can't go to the cross and put my life on the line for your life, if I can't pay the penalty of your sin, then we can't be together. And if you don't allow me to serve you, in the end, you won't be able to be with me. This is good. Let's keep going. Verse number 12. The Bible says that when he had finished washing their feet, that he put on his clothes, returned to his place. And, and he says, do you understand what I've done for you? Which the answer was what? No. <laughs> he just said that. He's like, y'all don't even know what I'm doing until later. So remember when God asks a question, it's because he knows the answer already. He's just making you think. He says, you call me teacher and Lord and right, right, rightly so, for that is what I am. And now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an, everybody say an example. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. And so you, you, need, you need to get your head wrapped around this. Like this is, the, this is the game plan for Jesus. This is why it's on the bucket list. Because Jesus is saying, I've done this. It's, it's so good here. You need to know that this little sermon illustration is not for the last 30 minutes. This is the sermon illustration that should last you for the next 30 years of your life. 
Like this needs to become part of who you are. And so the Bible says that the most powerful man in the room, what he does is he leverages all that power for the good of everybody else in the room. And the question that you and I have to answer is this, is what do I do when I've got gifts, talents, abilities, influence? What do I do with it? Jesus told you what to do. You leverage it for the sake of everybody else in the room. That's the example that you follow follow. And so this is this is his. Remember, remember the other week we talked about priority determines capacity. So Jesus takes this moment of serving and he says, this has got to be the highest priority. This is my biggest deal. This is my last illustrative sermon here. This is going to be it. And here's why. Think about what they accomplished because of this right here. Listen, in one generation, they won the Roman Empire. In one generation, they had gotten the gospel to every known place on planet Earth. And do you know why? Because they were determined to outlove everybody, to outgive everybody, and to outserve everybody else. Because that's the gospel. Are you seeing it? This is the way of Jesus. And this is ought, what ought to be the way of the people who follow Jesus. We leverage whatever it is that we have for the sake of everybody else in the room. And, and, and please, please, please get this. Because the world is full of evil people. Jesus, when he stooped down to wash his disciples' feet already knew who Judas was and what he had done and yet still decided to wash his feet. Could you handle that? Could you wash the feet of the guy who trades you in for 30 coins of silver? And yet Jesus said this is the way. Because priority determines capacity. You want to see if we can win the world? You want to see what we can get done in one generation? This is the priority. Is that we leverage everything we have for the other people. In the room. Let's keep going. Jesus says something brilliant here. He said, I set you this example. And truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master. How many of you would agree with that? No servant is greater than his master. Y'all are, y'all think this is a trick question. It's not a trick question. Is the servant greater than the master? Everybody say no. OK, good. So we're all clear on that. I, I, sometimes I ask questions. You're like, he's going to get us. He's always got that little thing. He does. And so, so the answer is no. Nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. This is what Jesus is in essence saying. And this is so brilliant. What he's saying is this. He goes, all right, who's the most powerful person in the room? Jesus is, right? So he's the master and all the disciples would be the what? The servants. And he was saying, are y'all better than me? Sometimes y'all act like that. Are y'all better than me? And they're like, well, no. He goes, well, no, this, the servant is never greater than the master. Now, now in our culture, we talk about people raising the bar, setting the bar really, really high, right? What Jesus does is almost inverts it and flips it because what he does is this. He goes, watch this. I'm going to wash y'all's funky Freddy Krueger looking toes and I'm going to set the bar so low. I mean, it's low so that y'all can never say that that job is beneath me. Because y'all aren't better than me. And if I can get down this low, that means y'all can get even lower if you need to. This is, in essence, Jesus' way of saying that no one is exempt from this life principle. I don't care how much money you got. You're not exempt from this. Are you better than Jesus? It's 2,000 years later. We're still quoting Jesus. Nobody will be quoting you 20 years after you die. Okay, nobody will quote you. 2,000 years. Nobody's. Listen, he's the master. 
It doesn't matter what your title is. It doesn't matter what your accomplishments are. It doesn't matter what your wealth level. It does not matter. No one is excluded from this. And when you do what you're in essence saying is, well, I'm better than Jesus. I don't need to get down and do that. I'm, I'm too Work with kids. Uh, that's not, set up chairs. No, 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 no. Uh, wash feet. Set the bar so low so that you and I could never say, mm, that's beneath me. Mm, I'm too good for that. Mm, I'm too busy for that. Mm, I'm too important for that. No, you know, in essence, you would be saying I'm more important than Jesus. And many times this is why we struggle with worshiping God as well. It's because when we have a hard time worshiping God, what that is a reflection of is the fact that we do not realize how great and amazing and holy and majestic and wonderful he is. We have yet to realize that he is the master and we are the servant. And so we're in awe of nothing. And when you're not in awe of him, I worship, serving, I don't get it. What's the big deal? It's because we've yet, or you have yet, to have a radical experience where you see how great and big he is and yet how little and small and insignificant and in need of him you are. That's where the heart of serving and worship and giving come from. So the Bible says, let's keep going, that the servant is not greater than his master, nor is the messenger greater than the one who sent him. And now, everybody say now. Like, okay, now you're stuck with this because I told you. Now that you know these things, listen to what he says. He doesn't say, now that you know these things, if you don't do them, I'm going to crush you. Now that you know these things, you're held completely responsible and you will be accountable when you stand before me in heaven. He doesn't know what he says. That's, that's what we would say, right? Be like, now that you know this, I'll be checking every Monday and Thursday to make sure that's done. He goes, no, 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 listen, listen, this isn't, this isn't a have to. This isn't guilt based. This isn't I'm beating you up. This is I'm just modeling you the way. And, and here's the deal. If you do this, not only will we win the world and leverage all of our influence, gifts, talents, abilities, and power to, 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 to bless everybody else around us. Not only will that be the result. I want you to know there's a bit of a hidden agenda here. You will be blessed. If you do this, as a matter of fact, if, if you'll just flow with me here for a minute, like, I don't know if you know this or not, but like the secret to success is in serving other people. You know what the secret to a great marriage is? Serve your spouse. And the person who's unwilling to serve their spouse is in essence saying that, that I'm more important than them. And when all of a sudden you're more important than them, then the, the whole thing is going to start falling apart. The secret to successful marriage is that you, you, you place them above yourself and that you serve them. And when you have two people that treat each other like that, you've got a blessed, incredible, almost obnoxious marriage. But you've got a marriage that other people envy and wish that they had. What's the secret to say? What, what about your kids? I mean, we live, our culture is moving in a negative cycle here because we're moving more and more towards this idea of entitlement. We think that we owe we deserve. You owe me. I ought to. You, no, you don't. Nobody owes you anything. You should look in the mirror and repeat that phrase until you believe it. Nobody owes you anything. You are entitled to nothing. Embrace that reality and then go serve the world. Because your kids, sometimes we, like, we, we used to live in a day where like kids had to go like chores. And now we don't do that anymore. Like, no, your kids need to take the trash out. The kids need to go wash the dishes. The kids need to vacuum. The kids need to clean their own room and stop entitling your kids because what you'll see is, is you'll see a future generation that will be crippled living in this world because they'll have missed the idea that service equals value. The, the secret to your kids being blessed and successful in life is you training them now in their formative years to serve. 
I'm telling you, it's one of the most valuable things that you can ever give your kids. Business works this way. Ask anybody that owns their own business. How is it that you create a successful business? You create a superior product of service to help other people. And because you've created that, people want your business. So how do you grow a successful business? You create incredible service. Like Jesus is, he's smart. Infinitely, okay? He said, you'll be, I'm going to tell you this. Not only does it work for marriage and kids and business and life, I'm telling you, there's something internal that takes place. Almost like an indescribable satisfaction and joy that you receive. And, and I know this, and I'll tell you how I know this. And I'm going to tell you a secret. Don't tell anybody else that I said this to you. When I was a teenager, before I became a, a, a Jesus follower, I was a terrible person. If you've ever been around church service long enough, you know some of my stories and there's some good ones. Okay, but anyway, I was really bad. But I grew up going to church the whole time. There was just a disconnect. I just wasn't connected to God in any way, didn't honor God, know God. It was a big disconnect. But my mom was determined to make me go to church every Sunday, which, by the way, parents, that's a good thing you ought to because you're putting them into an environment where one day they will be able to connect the dots. And if you're not putting them in an environment, you give them a greater disadvantage. Does that make sense? So, so, so keep your kids in church. Even when they don't want to. So my mom makes me go on this summer missions trip. It was called World Changers. And basically, this is what it was. You had to pay like four or five hundred dollars to go somewhere else and work. I told my mom, I was like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Mom, I go places to work so that people pay me. That's how this works. I don't pay money to go, to go work. That's dumb. Like that's dumb. Mom, that don't make no sense. I was a punk. I had to like, that's dumb. You don't know. So I go on this trip begrudgingly. I was made to. And we go down to Augusta, Georgia. I was in Greenville, South Carolina. That's where I grew up and, and, and was raised. So we go down to Augusta, Georgia. I want you to know, Augusta, Georgia is... Has anybody ever been there before? It's the stinkiest place in the country. They have these... You know what I'm talking about, don't you? They have these... Uh, is it a paper, it's paper mill, right? I'm trying to remember. They have these mills, and they just produce the most god-awful smell in the world. It is... Don't ever go there. Anyway. Don't tell me I said that. That's me. Go there anyway. So... You have to be, and, and, and have you ever been in the South in the summertime? It's awful. Like, like it's, the, it's, the, it's like the armpit of the country in the summertime. It's, it's this smelly, sweaty, moist place. It's awful. I'm sorry. I'm venting. I'm getting it all out. Because the humidity in the South, in the middle of the summer, in the place with all the paper mills where it's, it, it is awful. And I'm like, I don't want to go. I got to pay money to go work. I don't want to go. And I went because it made me. And I started working on a home. We used to go in and do reconstruction building projects for people. And there was this, I can still picture her face. She is the most beautiful, wonderful, little old, small, tiny black woman with her hair pulled back into buns and glasses. She can barely walk. And she basically lives in poverty and she has no family and her house is literally falling down on top of her. And that was one of the projects that was given to the group. And that was the group that I got attached to. And we go and for a week we work in the hot, stinky, smelly place. And I walked away and I thought. This is what life is supposed to be like. 
There is something unexplainable and undefinable when you give yourself to something greater than you. And when you give to somebody who can never pay you back anything in return, there is an indescribable and undefinable joy that you experience. And you cannot experience that just consuming. There is a certain level of satisfaction. Don't, don't get me wrong. Go on the cruise ship. Yeah, it'll be a certain level of satisfaction. But as long as you live a life that's all about you and all about your consumption and you never step out beyond that, you will always miss this. You'll be blessed if you do it. Something unique, significant will happen in your heart. You will be changed. I'm telling you, I wasn't even a Jesus follower and I experienced it. I'm telling you, you can be here today and you don't even believe in God and you think all the Bible's do you. Listen, just do it anyway. I promise there are people out there that already do this. There are humanitarian causes led by people who don't even believe in God, and yet they still do it. And you know why? Because Jesus said, this don't work just if you believe in me. I'm just telling you, you'll be blessed if you do it. There are, there are people that, that are parents or, or business people, they don't believe in God. They do this, and they're blessed because they do. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a principle that was locked in for only Jesus followers. He goes, this is a universal principle, that service is how. You create value. Service is how you create joy in your own life. You'll be blessed if you do it. Here's the question I have. If we were just to take a moment to, to dream. What would a church look like? If every part and every member of a community began to leverage their gifts, strengths, abilities, time, energy, money, whatever it is, their influence. What if a community, what if a church truly leveraged it all? What if everybody did this? Can you imagine? The first generation believers did it. And then they were an unstoppable force in the, in the planet. I mean, it was just crazy what they were able to do and what they were able to accomplish. And what I'm telling you is as a church, New Beginnings, you know what we have to do? We have to follow the example of Jesus. We need to take everything that God's ever given us and leverage it for the other person in the room. And in doing so, we will be blessed. Now that we know, we'll be blessed. If we do so, I want you to watch this video. There's a, a few more people that wanted to share their take and love and why they serve and why they do what they do. Check out this video. My name is Todd and I love you. Um, I love my church. Hey, uh, I, I just this is a day we, you know, we take this day once a year just to say thank you. If you volunteer in any capacity here or whether, you know, most of our volunteers usually volunteer once a month. Some of them are diehards and they just want to be here every week. And, and, and so I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We do not exist without you. We can do nothing. We can accomplish nothing without you. Uh, it, it is all built on you and your great service. So right now, ushers, if you could, I'd love for you to do this. We have these volunteer cards, and I want you just to hand them out to everybody. Just hand them out in stacks. Like, don't even, don't even, it's not about a hand. Just hand them to everybody. Hand them out in bulks. They're, trust me, uh, paper's cheaper than time. And so um, just pass them out in stacks and bulks. If you are a volunteer, it doesn't matter. Just We're going to just get them out to everybody. Here's what I want you to do. I, I want you as a person just to prayerfully consider, God, what time... Can I give or do I have? What abilities or, or, or strengths do I have? What influence do I have? And for some of you, here's what I want you to know. Some of you are in a position where, where you should not serve. I mean, there, there's the occasional person that I get that, that their life is falling down around them. They're barely hanging on. I want you to come and just receive. I really, really do. But for most of us, that's not the case. For most of us, we have these, again, this time that God has given us, these, uh, this energy, this ability that God has given us, this influence that God has given us. And I want you to take that card and 
if just based on today's message, you already know. If you said, Todd, this is a no-brainer. You made it clear. Jesus said, this is the example. Therefore, go do it. I'm in. Then fill out the card today. If you want to think about it and take it home, and then that's fine too. But here's what we want to do is we want you you to know that, that we have an incredible team of volunteers. But we're always looking for more. The, the more people that carry the load, the lighter the load. And we want you to get involved. We want you to add value. We want you to share your gifts and times and talent. We need you as a community. We need each other. Jesus said you'll be blessed if you do so. I'm telling you, you can take this principle to your marriage, to your kids, to your business, to your field. I'm telling you, but inside of our church. This is really what I, I'm going to put this on the screen for you. The expression of the Christian life is service to God through service to others. That's it. If you want to know, like, what is the Christian life supposed to look like? It's this right here. Service to God through service to others. That's what we believe. That's what we believe that, that Jesus did in his final hours. Say, so, you know what? Last illustrative sermon. It's going to take 30 minutes, but I want you to live it out for the next 30 plus years. I want you to watch what I do. I want you to know that I'm setting the bar down so low so that we can all get underneath it as far as we can and humble ourselves to the reality that God has served us. And in return, he has asked us to serve one another. That's a pretty good deal. And here's the other part. You'll be blessed if you do it. Like you'll be blessed. And I believe that. I believe, and I pray for our volunteers. Like, I believe that there's a blessing. I think that there's a, there's a favor factor. I think there's something that God does for those who give of their time, of their ability, of their finances, of whatever it is. You take that. You pray about that. You consider that. But here's what we'd love for you to do. We'd love for you to get involved. Summertime is the time of the year where we take all of our kind of new recruits. And, and really, it's just a training period. We'll give you one or two weeks just to train in a shadow to learn some of the different things and places wherever you would like to get plugged in at. I'm telling you this. If there is any thought, any slight hint of notion that you would like to work with kids, please. Our, our children's ministry is one of the places that typically people shy away from. And I, I'm not sure why. Um, Maybe your kids are crazy. I don't know. So if you have the slightest thought of working with our children, I'm telling you what, working with kids may be the most beneficial thing. Because what you do is you get to sow into the life of a little one. The Bible even, I don't have time to get into this. The Bible says that Jesus talks about children and being able to bless children and help children know him and finding the greatest reward and value. And I'm just telling you, if you have any notion to work with kids, let's work with kids. Get in here. It's once a month at most. I mean, let's serve. Let's leverage what God has given us for the sake of everybody else in the room. Can somebody get a good amen out there? Amen. I'm so glad that you're here this morning. I pray that you were encouraged, inspired, challenged, whatever it is. And I pray that you would really, really consider getting involved on a deeper level here at New Beginnings Church. If you could, bow your heads, close your eyes. Let me pray for you as we close and dismiss today. God, I thank you for these wonderful people. There's some great people in this room. There's some people already volunteering and serving. And God, I pray just an incredible measure of blessing and favor over their life, God. Whatever it is they're going through or maybe struggling with, I pray that you just show up in an incredible way. God, for those of out there who, who, who realize today, hey, I need to get involved. I need to do something more than what I'm doing now. Then, God, I pray that you give them the courage, the nudge, the push to go ahead and step out, to fill out a card, to make the offer, to say, God, whatever you want to do in me, God, I'm open. Here I am, Lord. Use me. God, I pray over this great church, this incredible community of believers. God, what a great family. What a great bunch of people. And God, I pray that we would draw closer to one another by serving one another, God. I pray a blessing over this church, God, and ask that you would do great things with us as we serve you, as we serve one another, as we serve the world around us, God. Help us, Lord. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. And we all said...
Amen. Can we give the Lord a big hand clap this morning?